Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we renew our visiting. We are ever so slowly working our way through the Scriptures. We don't rush the Scriptures because we don't want to miss anything. God's timing is perfect. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching as we go over your word. I pray for your Holy Spirit to inspire us that we might be more like Jesus at the end of this day than we are right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, we're going through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We go through a book of the Bible verse by verse, and so we find ourselves in verses, uh, well, we're going to look at verses 45 because we actually didn't talk about those last week. And so let's look at verses 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, which is Jesus in these verses here, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterwards, the spiritual. You'll remember that we talked about last week that there are two distinct bodies. And in verse 44, you'll see it is sown a natural body. This body is natural, given to me by my parents, grandparents, great parents, you know, so forth and so on. It is raised a spiritual body. So there is a distinct body that you are going to receive. Even as an unbeliever, you are going to receive a spiritual body. If you don't know God, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you'll be spending eternity in hell. Don't blame God. Hell was not created for you. Hell was created for fallen angels. That's why Jesus has the Holy Spirit here and why I'm even saying this morning, God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. You can receive the free gift of salvation. If you reject that, don't blame God. That's your free will choice. We would encourage you to accept Jesus. That's the best option. So again, there is, notice in verse 44, a natural body, then there is a spiritual body. So again, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, first Adam. The second man is Lord from heaven. That's how we know as we interpret our Bible that this is Jesus, the second Adam here. So just let the Bible interpret itself. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, Jesus, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we are made in the image of Adam and Eve, all of us in this room. There's not a bunch of different races. There's one race, the human race. Don't let anybody try to cause division in your life, in your family, in your community, in the church about a person's color. There is one race, the human race. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. You see, Jesus was able to walk through walls and enjoy a meal. With the disciples able to see and actually touch him. This was after the resurrection. Prior to the resurrection, 
in his human form, if he would have tried to walk through a door, he would have been hurt. After the resurrection, now that he's in his glorified body, it says in the scriptures that he appeared in the room. So he walked through the door. Very, very important. And we will also receive a new body that will be fit for use in heaven. And I believe it to be the same appearance as this body, but the ultimate appearance, just as Jesus had, which will obviously look and work way better than we have right now. And if you're getting older, you're going, please bring it on. We will also have perfect recall. Our memories will be just fine. And I'm looking for... Oh, that was just a magnet. I'm looking forward to that because I have about a two-week memory. So if I ask you your name for the 100th time, uh, just show mercy and tell me your name. Uh, It's not that I don't love you or respect you. I just have a two-week memory. Wasted in the 70s, just the way it is. So, but we're going to have perfect memories when we get to heaven. So a question that comes into our minds that I hear on a regular basis when I'm ministering to people who are dying or to their loved ones or when they ask me, well, well, what's going to happen and will we know each other in heaven? Well, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. The then is when we get to heaven. And we're going to have a lot of scriptures, so if you want to write them down or take a picture, do it. We've got to move really fast here. I'm probably not going to get through the study, but we'll get through most of it. Will I be less smart in heaven than I am here? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. All right. We'll talk about that one. You see, no, I'm going to have the mind of Christ. I'm not going to be God. I'll never become God. But even right now, we're encouraged in the scriptures to take on the mind of Christ. So I will take on fully that mind of Christ. Not that I'm going to know everything. Again, not God. So don't even go down that road. But not having any selfish motives whatsoever in heaven. None whatsoever. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is heaven, guys. Not this here. When we step into heaven... We're not going to regard anybody in the flesh. You're not going to come across somebody and go, I can't believe you're here. And they're going to look at you and go, you made it? (laughs) Yeah, but I remember when you, that's not going to happen at all. Thank God. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, isn't that kind of interesting as you get into verse 17 that you probably have memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Now, did that happen immediately for you as a believer? Did all the old things pass away? No. No, they didn't. And you might be still working some of those things out, those fleshly things. And when you take your last breath on this earth, then, then all things will be new. But the way God sees you from that very second, according to the Bible... He sees you as holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. And when you look up that word unreprovable, it's an accounting term. There is no record of one sin in heaven. Not one sin in heaven. So you are a new creation from heaven to earth. From earth to heaven, Paul says, work out your own salvation. 
Not the free gift of salvation, but sanctification. Work that out. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform your heart, to transform your mind, to get into the word of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Again, Matthew twenty two thirty says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. How many say amen to that? <laughs> How many are you happy about that? Amen. I'm happy about that. Praise God. My wife's going to say the exact same thing. Amen. But are like angels of God in heaven. So I personally don't believe, just my own personal belief, that I'm going to see Claudia as my wife in heaven. But I'll see her in the most perfect sense, even as she is now, my sister in Christ. She's my sister in Christ, even now. We will both know all those things that we did for the Lord, even those things that we didn't think were that important and didn't realize that we even did something for the Lord. That's a very good possibility. And one wonderful thing about heaven will be that there'll be no fleshly thoughts, as we've just talked about. The curse and everything about the curse will no longer exist. Revelation 22.3 says, and there should be no more curse. Praise God. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Well, another question is, will I remember my loved ones? Once again, I personally don't think so. There'll be no more tears in heaven. So if I could remember someone that didn't make it to heaven, I'd be crying for all of eternity. You know, at the end of it all, every believer will say what we see in Revelation 16, 6. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. True and righteous. We will truly understand what it means to be true brothers and sisters in Christ. Will our animals be there? I had a gal ask me this, and it took everything I had to stay calm. I think dogs will be there. (laughs) But cats? (laughs) No way. (laughs) Lock and load. Now, the only, uh, the only animals that we've read about in the scriptures, and this is what I just share with people, so you have to do with it what you will, are the horses that will be coming on back with Christ at the second coming of Christ to this earth. And Jesus could instantaneously, instantaneously create them just for that one ride and poof, that's it, they're gone. So don't look for stalls when you go up to heaven. Don't feel bad, don't feel sad. You see, on this side of earth, we have the things that bless us. So important. Do you think that when you get to heaven, you're going to be disappointed? Oh, my little doggy isn't here. (laughs) You are not going to be disappointed. You're not even going to be thinking about that stuff. There's plenty, obviously plenty of things that we don't know about, but it's going to be so exciting to get there and see what heaven is all about. I can guarantee you no one will be disappointed. Let's look at verses 50 through 52. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. And remember, going back to the previous verses, this body is corruptible. I must put on incorruption. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So let's look at a few words here. Twinkling is a jerk. Twinkling. When you look it up, it's a jerk. Not a person, but a head jerk. And so it's kind of like light reflecting off the eye. When you're in a really dark room or if you go to the restroom in the middle of the night and you flip the light on, it's like, whoa. Because light travels at what? 186,000 miles per second. The moon is roughly 200,000 miles away. So when we die, it's not going to be like we're traveling through a tunnel, a light's at the end of the tunnel and it's a train. You're going to be in heaven immediately. Heaven could be just right outside our atmosphere. The third heaven could literally be between here and earth. We don't see it. It is 1,500 miles tall, 1,500 miles square, according to Revelation. The moon is 200,000 miles away, so there's plenty of room. Heaven could literally be just outside our atmosphere. We'll find out when we get there. But the last trump, Revelation 4.1 says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. This is the Apostle John. He's writing this in the 90s. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Again, keep in mind that John is taken up to heaven before he sees the great tribulation unfold. And I'll come to that, back to that towards the end of the study. But for now, the fifth feast of the seven listed in the scriptures was given to the Israelites in Leviticus chapter 23. And it's called the Feast of Trumpets. It's also referred to as Rosh Hashanah, head of the year or the start of the new civil year. It is celebrated in the fall or what we would be about our mid-September to early October time frame, even this year, mid-September to early October. It is a holiday that is celebrated on the first day of the month, month Tishri by the sighting of the new moon. It was officially recognized by a long blast of a trumpet or what is known as a shofar. The new moons were always announced by the trumpet blast, but in this seventh month, the blast would last throughout the day, throughout the day, emphasizing its solemnness and uniqueness of the months. Nine days after this feast was the day of atonement. So it is believed that the feast of trumpets is a call to repentance for the Israelites to awaken out of their spiritual drowsiness and seek the forgiveness of God. Interesting if you think about that with the rapture. The church is taken off the earth. For us as Christians, the time between the fourth feast and the fifth feast is called the church age. It is that time where God is calling all of mankind to repentance prior to that great and terrible day of the Lord, oh, those last seven years of history known as the Great Tribulation. Verse 53. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. I believe that even those who are alive at the rapture must put off this early bo earthly body, even though Paul said not all shall die. And as you read the rest of the scriptures, this continued revelation, we don't add to it any further, but in that day and age, Paul was anticipating the Lord to come back in his day and time. Second coming of Christ, Paul believed it was going to happen in his day. But as scriptures continue to be revealed, what we have today in our Bible, we know that certain things had to take place, the destruction of Israel, destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD, 
the regathering of Israel, 1948. Jerusalem becoming the capital of Israel once again, 67. The prophetic clock is now ticking. You see, it is that time when God has been calling all of mankind to repentance prior to the great tribulation. Uh, uh, So verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, when I get that brand new body, and this mortal has put on immortality, so I personally believe we're all going to die. That's my own personal belief. And as I say that, I know last week I I might have caused a little bit of confusion. You know, with the the body, the, the, the scriptures do not contradict themselves. But not every topic can we put into a nice, neat box and seal it. And that's with the, with the issue of the body. Some people, a majority of Christianity believes this body's going to go into the earth. And then our spirit's going to go to heaven. And then when Jesus comes back, our spirit is going to be reunited with the, the body that comes out of the grave. And then we'll have that new spiritual body forevermore. I would, I would not argue with that. I'm not going to argue with that. That's, that's a majority of Christianity believes. I believe we get our brand new body instantaneously and we'll never be reunited with this, this, this body. doesn't matter. The resurrection is going to take place, right? So we don't argue, argue over that. But know the scriptures so you can at least explain it to somebody. And if you take a stance, be able to explain it. Can you totally put it in a box and say, there it is? No, because as you study it, you're going to find some scriptures that go, well, that, that seems like it contradicts. It doesn't contradict. It's just additional information. Now we have to decide, okay, how are we going to play it out? How does it play out? So, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, Hebrews 2 says this, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same. Jesus took on flesh. If you're here today and you don't believe Jesus walked in the flesh, please read your whole Bible. And also, outside of Bible, just historical evidence, unbelievers, Jesus existed. That's beyond a shadow of any doubt. That through death, he might destroy him that had power of death. Now, Satan does not have power to kill. Only God has power to take life. But Satan uses fear, which is still the number one fear of mankind, the fear of death. Not how they're going to die, although that's scary. But that last step, what happens after I take my last breath? That's still the number one fear. That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, as Christians, we no longer need to fear death. I'm looking forward to it. Are you? I'm excited. Heaven or 110? Hmm. I don't know. You see, Paul has proven the resurrection has shown that believers will receive new bodies upon their physical death. Verse 455, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Hades, Guyana, hell, Sheol. It's basically the same place. Uh, It's hot, way hotter than Phoenix. But it's like a bee here in this verse. Who would be afraid of a bee that didn't have a stinger? It'd be just like an ordinary house fly, just a nuisance. So the sting of death, I don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of the way you're going to die. It doesn't matter. No matter how long it takes, it doesn't matter. Remember last week we talked about it? Four se- one second is a little bit right around, one second is a little bit around four days. Remember? April's, or uh, what are we in? March is already gone. We're halfway through April. Don't worry about it. It's all minor. Be a witness for Christ to the doctors, to the nurses, 
to your family members. I have been with people who were believers and many of their family members were unbelievers and they went out proclaiming the truth. And that heavily impacted their family members, their acquaintances, die in the faith with grace on your lips as much as possible. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, so guys, you and I, we have the victory. No matter who's in Washington, no matter what happens with our economy, it's going to take place. We have to get to the one world economy. Don't think you're going to stop it. You're not. Rather, get on board, just like Gamaliel told the Sanhedrin with the disciples. You're going to find yourself fighting against God. Don't fight against God. Go with God and be ready to witness to those around you. You see, unfortunately, we as believers, we can get so focused on the here and now that we forget to meditate on the eternal things. I know that believers realize that we're all going to get there, but are we taking the time to prepare for such? Are you and I really taking the time to prepare for going to heaven? Or are you afraid? Are you scared? Have you stored up any treasure? You're going to heaven. God's going to get you there. But don't go bankrupt. I don't know what we're going to do with those rewards. The scriptures don't tell us. We're going to throw them at the feet of God. But this is just amazing. When I do something, the Holy Spirit inspires me. The Holy Spirit empowers me. And then God gives me credit. That makes no sense. It was the Holy Spirit. So get out of the way. Let the Holy Spirit inspire you. Let the Holy Spirit empower you and do what God's calling you to do. Don't get hung up with your flesh. Get focused on the word of God and what God wants to do in your life. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. So because of this whole chapter, because we are going to heaven, guys, at the end of the day, you and I, we're going to heaven. No matter what happens, we're going to heaven. So what's the wrap up? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. The word vain there is empty. You might not get the pat on the back on this side of heaven. You might not get the attaboy. But your reward is in your account. Jesus, you never lose that. That your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Again, because of the fact of the resurrection that we should remain firm, superabounding in the message of the gospel. You see, if we do not think about eternity on a regular basis, then we will find ourselves making choices that will greatly impact our lives. Guys, this is so applicable to my life as a pastor, to your life as an individual. In the negative way, in the here and now, if we do not stay on focused on eternity... Yes, we need to be responsible, all that good stuff. I'm planning for retirement. Not going to happen, but I'm planning. You still make the plans. Do all that good stuff. But stay focused on eternity. Why do we behave the way that we do when we're young? Think about this when you're young. Because eternity is far away. Young people don't die. You thought that in your head. Traditionally, they don't. They, they do, but not, not in great numbers. But then we take that mentality into our 20s and then there's a career in front of us, the start of a new family. 
There's too much going for us to think that we're going to die. And then come along the 30s and, and we're just too busy running around the kids and doing everything that we need to do to focus about eternity. And then come the 40s and the 50s. And we start to look at the obituaries. And lo and behold, there are quite a few people that are dying in their 40s and 50s. You see, we start to look at life differently, which is good. But even then, it might not look, we might not be looking towards heaven, but how to preserve that which is quickly fading away. What is one of the main money-making industries in America today? Anybody know? You look so marvelous. Beauty. Beauty. Multi-billion dollar industry. How to stay young, even though you're old. How to stay looking young doesn't work just grow old gracefully just grow old gracefully let's look at john chapter six as we look at this so what's the work of the lord john chapter six jesus answered them and said most assuredly i say to you you seek me not because you saw the signs but because you ate the loaves and were filled your tummy was filled You got a free meal. That's why you're coming after me. The temporary. Jesus goes on to say in verse 27, John 6, do not labor for the food which perishes. Guys, that's an exhortation for you and me today. And again, if you've been around our house or this property, you you realize this property is being taken care of. (laughs) And it's mostly the staff that's doing it. We believe in responsibility, so I'm not negating any of that nonsense. So don't, don't even go down that road. We have to take care of the things that God has given to us. But, first and foremost, our minds need to be what? But for the food that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Religious people, what should we do? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent, that you believe in Jesus whom God sent. Guys, that's our number one work, even to this very day. In In our workplaces, to be that example of a Christian, the best employee on the job site, not evangelizing during office hours, that's not what you're paid for. Do your job, evangelize after or on lunch, whatever, but on your own time. But to be the best example Romans 10, 14, 15 says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Don't say, oh, if you could just go to our church. You're the preacher. Your life is a living epistle. How are you living? How are you walking? How are you talking? Are you laughing at the coarse jokes in the workplace? Are you uh, insinuating things that you shouldn't be insinuating to someone else? Are you flirting? What What might it be? And how they preach unless they are sent, as it is written. How about if everybody right now, feel free, look down at your feet. Go ahead, don't be afraid. Nobody's gonna stone you. You probably got shoes on, so you're not seeing your feet anyways. But you got feet, right? How does the gospel get to the world? Through those feet. 
Now, you know what I'm getting at. Your feet don't talk. Your mouth talks. But you walk to places. You're in the store. You're in the neighborhood. You're in your workplace. You're walking around. I have to remember this on a regular basis. Am I just walking around to walk around? Or am I maybe walking around to maybe minister to somebody? Unbeliever or believer. If we really believe we're in the last days, then we should behave like it. And have a little more urgency towards winning people to Christ. Do you think there's a little more urgency in the believers in the Ukraine and in Russia right now? In Poland? In Germany? You think there's a little more urgency in their lives? You can bet there is. Life has changed drastically. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Peace of this world? There's never going to be peace on this world. Christ, but even then, there's going to be fleshly people that we're going to have to deal with. The only time we have peace on this side of heaven is when we're right with God. God gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding because now we're right with God. That's the peace that we need to take to the world who bring glad tidings of good things. Wow, we've got 12 minutes. This is not going to happen. So what about this thing called the rapture? Anybody ever hear of the rapture? How many of you have heard of the rapture? Okay. Okay. Is that really something that we can prove scripturally? Well, we just went over some scriptures about being changed in an instant, which could just uh, imply the simple fact of death. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians very quickly, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 infers that the Lord is coming towards the earth, not to the earth in his second coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, unknowing, the word ignorant there, unknowing, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, I have this next part highlighted under my Bible, in my Bible, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have died in Christ. So Jesus is bringing everyone who's died, he's bringing back with him, everyone. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have died. Again, using the logic. So is my loved one still in the grave? No, your loved one's in heaven. We're not going to beat him to heaven at the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. To me, that's just a reiteration of what has already been said. Again, I'm not a Greek scholar. I won't argue with anybody about it. It's going to happen. The rapture is going to happen. I will argue that, but I'm not going to argue about what takes place or when it takes place, per se. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Very important. Keep that in your mind. Verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So we believe that there's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation. To me, a full seven-year tribulation. There are some who believe in pre-tribulation rapture. You're going to be raptured before the tribulation. There are some under the banner of Christianity believe that you're going to be raptured in the middle of the tribulation. There are some who believe you're going to be raptured post-trib. You're going to be raptured at the end of the tribulation and come right back with Christ. So those are three opinions. Revelation 6, 8 says this, So I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed after him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. Notice this, you want to make note of this, Revelation 6, 8. 
to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Revelation 9, 15 through 18. So the four angels who have been prepared for the hour, day, and month, and year, notice the preciseness of God, was released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. Kind of interesting. China bragged about having this many, many decades ago. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, uh, hyatheth blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of the lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. So this is during the Great Tribulation. Matter of fact, as far as I can tell, chronologically, this is in the first half of the Great Tribulation before the abomination of desolation is set up in the holy place when the Antichrist really reveals who he is, I am God, and you will now bow down and worship me. That's halfway through the Great Tribulation. This is prior to that point. So here's a slide with a bunch of numbers on it if you want to take a picture of it. I've mentioned this often. We're approaching 8 million people people on this earth right now. If one million get raptured, that leaves seven million. We just read about a fourth are going to be annihilated. Revelation 6, 8, that equals that number, which then takes it down to that number, 5,250,000,000. Revelation 9, 15, a third, amazing, the exact same number, brings it down to 3,500,000,000 remain prior to the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, if Bible-believing Christians are going to be here for the tribulation, think of that number there. And I think I just read in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you find a lot of comfort in knowing that you're going into the tribulation and half of the world is going to be annihilated in three and a half years? Is that really comforting? Not, not the Center for Deceit Control. This is going to be reality. Three and a half billion people, if that one billion is correct, which we just, I just threw it out there for conversation purposes, is correct. Three and a half billion people, three and a half years. There's no comfort in that. Luke 17, very quickly. Luke 17. It's going to be part two next week. Luke 17, 22 through 37. Then Jesus said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. For first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Key verses, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I believe, personally, this day is the rapture. 
In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in his house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? That is very interesting. I've done study and I've, I've heard all kinds of opinions on this verse here. But just keeping it in context and in context of the rapture, to me, it makes perfect sense. He said to them, Wherever the body is, there the, the eagles... The eagles are what? Meat eaters. There the eagles will be gathered together. Several things to notice here. The last days or that time just prior to the church meeting the Lord in the air, Jesus says it will be like in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And we've studied this many, many times over the years. But for this morning, in regards to the rapture, we need to notice that both Noah and Lot were removed They were removed from the situation of God's wrath being poured out. And there's a big difference between God's wrath and man's wrath. Matt, you guys want to come up? We're going to wrap it up with this here, and then we'll do part two next week. You can think about this this week, God's wrath versus man's wrath. Joseph Stalin of Russia estimates up to 60 million people died under his rule. Pol Pot who governed Cambodia, estimates are between 1.5 and 2 million people died. Chiang Kai-shek of China, estimates up to 10 million people died. Adolf Hitler of Germany, estimates up to 11 million people died. Vladimir Lenin of Russia, estimates up to 12 million people died. Hirohito of Japan, estimates up to 6 million people died. Mao of China, estimates up to 80 million people died under his rule. Now when you add all those up, it's 181 million people died over an extensive period of time. Not just in three and a half years. Not in seven years. Over several decades. 181 million people died. If we take the middle of the 19th century as an example of comparing numbers, in 1950, the world's population was roughly 2.5 billion people. With the numbers I just gave you, and I understand that it's not all the bad people who are killing large numbers of people in the 1900s, but it's the major representation thereof, what type of percentage is that in your mind? Can you figure that out, you math people? 2.5 billion people? 181 million? Less than 10%, far less than 10% of the population over decades were killed. Man's wrath, God's wrath. And we'll talk about God's wrath next week. It's not appointed unto us to receive God's wrath, the believer. But there is a big difference. So when people argue with you, well, you know, there's always been persecution, there's always been war, there's always been this, there's always been that. Okay, take them to the numbers. Take them to the numbers. It makes it quite obvious, God's wrath. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a loving God. But as we'll see next week, you are a just God. And Lord, as we even think about our own country, how there are so many people desirous 
of killing babies. There are so many people desirous of confusing the little ones about their gender. There are so many desirous to tear apart the sanctity of marriage, that representation of Christ and the church. Father, we deserve judgment. And so we say, your will be be done with America, Lord. Whatever that looks like, your will be done. Just fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that will go out, that will do what you called us to do, that will be those blessed feet to share about the grace, the faith, the peace that people can have with God this week. For we see our whole society crumbling right in front of our eyes which we just read, Jesus said, will happen in the last days. The days of Lot, the days of Noah. So help us to occupy, as Jesus said, help us to be busy about our earthly business, but also, even more importantly, busy about our heavenly business. That we would have an impact on people's lives those who are living in fear now of even nuclear war. Living in fear of what might come upon us. Another plague, self-induced. Lord, help us to be available for people. They need Jesus. And again, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around this world, missionaries who are, who are out serving you, translating native languages into the word of God. Father, bless them, encourage them, strengthen them. Wherever they are right now, Lord, fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit that you will be glorified, Lord, in and through your word this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.